Hello there, it's Jamila Jamel. Take a deep breath. Let your breath out slowly to the count of six. One, two, three, four, five, six. Do you feel better? Well, on my podcast, I Weigh, this month we'll be exploring ways to tackle mental health and feel better with guests like Simon Sinek from The Optimism Company, therapist Vienna Farron, comedian Neil Brennan, and many more. Listen to I Weigh wherever you get your podcasts. Hi friends, it's Sarah May, and this is a big episode Um, And it's about body dysmorphia. It's for the average sufferer of body dysmorphia. And I'm calling it, Ugliness is in the Eye of the Beholder. So this one's for planet Earth. Here we go. (laughs) We all have an internal self-portrait. And that is created by the way we feel about who we are. And there are so many factors that control how we feel about ourselves, and what we perceive as our flaws. And that's why body dysmorphia is such a big problem. It looks and acts like normal self-image concerns, and it walks and talks like vanity. And yet, it destroys the average person's happiness in so many ways across a lifetime, unchecked. Your self-image is a distorted hallucination, one heavily affected by your fears, vulnerabilities, your brain chemicals, and the way you integrate information from the world around you. It has nothing to do with your actual physical appearance. That's one reason this is such a powerful and rising problem. It's the kind of suffering that's veiled as legitimate, as average. An ever-growing percentage of the population is dissatisfied with some or many traits of their physical appearance. And when everyone you know obeys the same standard and marketing and media reinforce the irrational bar you have set for yourself, how would you ever know there was another option? I've actually been trying to write this for almost a year now. And I realized that it's impossible to write about something if you suffer from the issues you're trying to tell people about. So as a part of my process, I decided to change all habits of obsessing and scrutinizing my appearance and my looks. As you probably know, that's pretty much impossible to finish. It has gotten a lot easier, and I can see myself more and more clearly as I go. And as a result, I am happier. I'm more relaxed, I'm more comfortable. I waste a lot less time measuring things and quantifying and playing catch up. And I get to choose to skip all of the feeling bad about myself because I made the decision. And now it's just about staying the course. It's a constant practice to honor that deliberate decision. And it all comes down to the initial awareness that you have this problem and that there's another option at all. It's like you don't even realize you have a choice to obsess or not. And once you decide to drop this as a habit and you make happiness and joy your priority and you choose to live as someone who rewards their holistic self, then it's just about deliberately redirecting your focus towards that goal. You have to stay consistent through the ups and the downs and the way down downs where you feel untethered and terrified. So yeah, I'm walking you through this topic well aware that it's really fucking hard. It's hard for me to take on the topic because it's a problem that's extremely powerful. 
It's a bitch of a topic because it's so intertwined with so many beliefs we have about ourselves. So my hope is that me saying all this will help you feel inspired and that we can fight it all together and change the world one healthy attitude at a time. So you might be wondering, what does a person look like with body dysmorphia when compared to somebody who doesn't have it or doesn't obsess about their physical appearance? There's no difference at all. They look exactly the same. That's because no matter what you look like, you could suffer from body dysmorphia. It has nothing to do with your appearance. A person could be physically perfect, quote unquote, or they could be basically a skeleton or they could be obese. They could be anything. There's no norm. The difference lies in your inner harmony and your happiness and focus. And so you can tell a sufferer by that factor. It's a disease of perception and it infects your personal enjoyment of your life. It takes up vast amounts of time and money and investment and decision making and it's just a robber of joy. So in short, you live in a prison hallucination that shows you primarily your flaws. So if you suffer pain and terror and obsession with some flaw in your physical appearance, the kind of obsession that robs you of enjoyment or participation in some part of your life that should be joyful, this is an episode for you. You don't have to feel bad at your own hand. It's not helping you reach real beauty, and it's definitely not helping anything in your life. This is an affliction that robs people of their spirit, of their truest gifts. It occupies brilliant and amazing people for a lifetime. And I'm doing this because I know one day we're all going to be old and wrinkled and we'll have to let go of this physical form. I believe you should be allowed to appreciate the time you have here without suffering and feeling bad about yourself. So no matter what form your particular insecurity might come in, it could be anything. It could be your hair, it could be your nose, it could be your hips, it could be your belly, it could be everything. None of them are more logical or necessary or valid. I know there are many commonly shared toxic beliefs that are pervasive, but none of them are legitimate. None of them are, are necessary to you feeling like you're a beautiful person. So without further ado, there are three parts to this mother. There's the what, the why, and the how, the tools. So here we go, part one, the what. Body dysmorphic disorder is the diagnostic term for a specific level of obsession with your flaws. So the badness of the flaws are also not perceived by others outside of you. So according to one book, it's a, quote, obsessive fear of deformity. Um, and whenever they kind of measure this, like if you are to be diagnosed with official BD or body dysmorphic disorder, you have to have it so bad that you are either using one or more hours a day to think about this flaw, like obsess about it, or that it's interfering with your ability to fulfill your role, quote unquote, in life, like your job. So maybe you don't have this level of body dysmorphic disorder, but I think everybody has a version of it. Many who suffer in the textbook body dysmorphia, they get endless uh, rounds of plastic surgery and it's never enough. And maybe they can't leave their home because they suffer such severe anxiety around others due to their perceived deformity. And that becomes all they think about to a debilitating degree. And the belief is so powerful that those who do continue to attend their job have terrible 
suffering in like situations like encountering a mirror. So you might be trapped in the bathroom trying to fix something or cover the flaw or trying to hide the flaw because they truly feel everyone in the world is gawking at the flaw. So in other words, it's mega powerful. But that's not to say we all don't have some version of that experience. If this sounded familiar, then you probably should seek professional help for body dysmorphic disorder. In my opinion, there are all sorts of lines drawn in the medical books about what constitutes, quote, a real disorder. It's basically how damaged your functioning is and how truly miserable you make yourself. And in this podcast, I am dysmorphia as a catch-all term for a painful and disruptive obsession with our physical flaws. And though that's not the technical definition, everybody who suffers has legitimate suffering, and no matter what your range is, you deserve to heal and find relief. So if you're a psychologist, apologies, I am not using the textbook definition. And technically, when it comes to weight and dieting, dieting obsessive dysfunctional behaviors related to weight dieting, that's categorized as anorexia or almost anorexia or just disordered eating or ED for short. So I think the lines between all of these disorders are arbitrary because it affects everybody in some form and how they are affected. There's a ton of overlap. So I'm choosing to address them as one big ugly topic. I think most people suffer from a version of all of them at once. Body dysmorphia is like your insecurities on crack. Like you're hallucinating a horror movie that is shaped as yourself. And you feel everything in your life, no matter how wonderful, as filtered through these problems. It's that pain that prevents you from attending an important function because your skin broke out. Or causes you to believe a spouse left you because you looked too old or you weren't thin enough. The pain that makes you, instead of seeing a family photo of an important moment, you see when I was X pounds overweight. It's that motherfucker of a joy killer that can stop you from feeling great about your achievements, even when you've accomplished something wonderful. It robs millions of time and money and pushes people to pay for products that burn them or sting them. And it makes so many people feel so disgusted with their self that they can't even tolerate intimacy with the person they love, who loves them and the way they look. It's what allows a wonderful, smart person to feel worthless and to put their own happiness aside in favor of achieving an ever-changing physical goal. So if you're suffering, you likely know it hurts and you wish it would stop, but you probably don't think there's a solution other than you changing. And that's what sucks most. That's why I fucking hate this fucking fucker. <laughs> the perception is a blindness, and it pits you against yourself. It robs and destroys lifetimes that should be happy, should be spent changing the world and being carefree and confident it takes health and turns it into imbalance and sickness. And that's why I fucking hate you, body dysmorphia. So I'm talking to everyone who suffers, no matter the degree, even if it's not clinical or if it's not described by the DSM, maybe it just looks the way everyone else you know has problems. But if you are one of those people out there who feels their physical body is the measure of how well they're doing in this world and that causes you to suffer, you can and should halt this motherfucker dead in its tracks because you are more than this piece of shit disorder. <clears throat> Which brings me to part two, the why. It's pretty much still a mystery, the causes of body dysmorphia, but there are a lot of reasons being studied and there are a lot that kind of represent the majorities. So I'm going to go through a list. I think there are eight. So if you're listening, you might want to check yourself against this list and 
know that if you have body image problems, it's not your fault, and it's a, quote, complex interaction between genetic and environmental factors. Basically, it's not one of the things I'm going to list. It's just, it's likely a few or at least more than one. So you have to basically have the type of brain and personality traits that set you up to be vulnerable to environmental events or factors. And because this distortion is related to how you feel, and then it dictates how you see yourself, it's a really potent problem in how it affects your lifetime, your decision-making, your job. Everything about your life can be altered by body dysmorphia. It can change how your day is going, or it become, can become the reason you believe you can't get a good job, or you can't wear shorts forever. I will go through this list. Hopefully one of these will give you a light bulb to look further into yourself, maybe with a therapist. Here we go. Number one, neurochemical abnormalities. In other words, something in the way your brain chemicals work. So things like serotonin or dopamine. That's why it's got something in common with OCD is like there's loops, mental processes that happen in your brain. And there's a basically a door to a loop that's supposed to be closed. And in people with OCD, it keeps going. So it's like something your brain won't stop. So there are over 15 different kinds of serotonin, and that basically is a chemical that regulates your mood, your sleep, your appetite, your eating, your sex, sexual behaviors. Um, so it's these little messengers in your brain. So if you have tried LSD, next time you try LSD, <laughs> don't try LSD, please don't try. Body dysmorphia gets worse when you take a drug that messes with your serotonin receptors. Hence this theory. Anywho, something to do with brain chemistry. That's one. Number two, personality traits. So specific personality traits increase your risk for body dysmorphia. So common traits include perfectionism, shyness, sensitivity to crit criticism and rejection, unusually high standards for oneself, introversion, social avoidance, socially avoidant, and low self-esteem. So people that are high on the neuroticism scale have a higher rate of body dysmorphia. Number three, maladaptive body image. I know this is a super sciencey episode, so hopefully I'm explaining these layman enough for you. So this is like a term for when you experience a, a real physical flaw or deformity at like a younger age. And when that flaw heals, your self-image fails to heal with it. So for example, if you were overweight and you lost 100 pounds, your emotions are still tied to a person 100 pounds heavier. Number four, a history of teasing. So if you experience teasing in your childhood, you have an increased risk of body dysmorphia. It's also a catalyst for a, the particular flaw that we become obsessed with. So like a single painful emotional occurrence can legitimize a fear you have around a flaw and that becomes the motivating reason for everything you believe you can't have or you suffer from or holds you back no matter how random that occurrence is. So like a joke delivered from a child about your quote weird eyebrows can be life cursing in its power. Number five, PTSD. Trauma, including sexual trauma or abuse. Sexual trauma has a very strong tie to developing a dislike of one's body. Number six, moving. Basically moving to a new place, new city, 
new neighborhood, anywhere where you move where you feel like an outsider. Feeling like you don't fit into this new place, it starts a focus on how you are different and the desperate need to fit in helps you to develop a belief that something is wrong with you. This becomes like the label for your pain. I don't look right. And there's a lot of trauma already around a move, like a big move to a new place. But when you feel physically different, it adds power to this shock. Number seven, parents. Parental expectations of perfectionism. So if you felt you had a parent that had very high standards for you, you have a higher risk of BD. Or if you felt unloved by a parent or neglected, if you had a parent who was preoccupied by your appearance or gave you excessive positive feedback or attractiveness, they call this one body dysmorphia by proxy. So parents who are neglectful or who made you feel unloved also increase vulnerability to body dysmorphia. Number eight, mood disorders. So if you have body dysmorphia, you also have a strong likelihood of also having anxiety or depression. Sometimes this is a symptom of the depression, and sometimes it's separate. And a lot of people just don't get treated for it, or it's never diagnosed because the depression is the more obvious symptom. So if you have always suffered depression and you also have these beliefs about your body, maybe see a professional about it. And number nine, the biggest one on my list, industry. And by that I mean everything from film television to magazines to products and even the news legitimize the importance of thinness and beauty. Media, imagery, and language highly endorse looking abnormally perfect. And physical perfection as a concept is constantly reinvented and therefore it's an ever-expanding industry. Cosmetic surgery, diet products, cosmetics, hair products, skin treatments. Marketing creates the need for products. Entertainment confirms it. And new products are invented every day to solve problems that are being invented every day. It's like a multi, multi, multi billion dollar industry that reaches more and more of the population. And it's now targeting wider and wider audiences of men and women. And they're reaching people younger and younger. Yikes, I know. So dire and terrible. Which brings me to the most important part. Part three, the how, the tools. So if you're suffering in a bad way, I recommend you go see a specialist and investigate further. Because I want to encourage you to empower yourself. And I want you to decide to take on this mission. So I'm putting all this information and resources into uh, the blog version on the Teaspoon site. So check it out. I'm going to post it hopefully in the next couple of days. <laughs> okay, tool number one is the awareness and desire to change. This is just step one. Body dysmorphia comes with an over-identification and focus on the external as a definition of you. And that over-focusing robs you of accurate perception. And that's what sets up the imbalance. You have a loss of sense of yourself as a person and you lose all objectivity the more you focus. You are suddenly looking for flaws instead of living life and thinking and laughing and dancing. Case in point, if you have identical twins and one of them goes on a diet, the one on a diet will gain more weight. hope that made sense. Like if you are looking to control your body, it creates an imbalance that in the long run hurts you more than if you didn't have the focus in the first place. So truly, awareness and a desire to do something about it is the most important tool I have to give you because that awareness is that you actually have a problem and you have a choice. You probably never considered you had a choice, but you do. 
So this first tool is become aware that you are a sufferer. Choose to overcome this by beginning to fight it every day. Separate from this mentally and remember you are not this voice. This is the voice of sickness that steals your life away. Because the key to overcoming body dysmorphia is to stay aware and choose correct patterns to follow in spite of it. Even when it hurts, going towards your highest goals anyway. Tool number two is called the ugly voice translator. So imagine I am giving you, via this podcast, a little chip that you can install into your head. And it's basically going to allow you to translate the voice of your disorder. So give your voice or voices names. The voice can be extremely convincing. It will sound just like you, or it'll come from sources outside of you that you believe are legit, like a, another person you know, or something on television. It will constantly try to speak to you in terms that sound rational. They sound like they're reasoning with you as something totally legitimate. It's almost like these voices in your head, your thoughts, your feelings, are trying to constantly build little paths towards more disordered behavior. So sometimes it's so veiled that it helps to give them a specific name assigned by their particular motives. So for example, there are a few standard labels given to the voice of specific disorders, like Ed is the name people give to eating disorder thoughts. Um, It's a voice that tells you you're on the heavy side after eating a calorie-high meal and suggests you shouldn't eat for a day just to even out. There's also social ed, which comes in the form of all the fucked up cultural expectations that are fed into your brain from all around you. Whatever it is, name your voice of ugly based on what it says to you. Learn to recognize it. Amy Poehler has the demon. I have Lady Gollum. Whatever it is, know that it lies. This is self-blindness induced by emotional triggers, and it never works in your favor. It only creates a you that is unlovable and ugly, and it shows you false manifestations of your mental sickness. So know that whatever you see is not real. I can tell you from personal experience that when you can see outside of your fucked up vision, you just get enough distance away from it just via ceasing the focus or the obsession. You start to literally get more objective. Like your looks and your body become very normal and they're not so drastically different depending on what you've eaten. Once you decide I'm not going to allow myself to feed the thoughts, the negative thinking, like terror has been removed from the equation, you start to see yourself like you now understand other people see you. You're not as much a victim to your brain. It's almost like when you look at an old photo of yourself and you see yourself totally different now that you're much older. Like you can see, wow, I was really beautiful and how sad that I couldn't experience that enjoyment for myself. You'll find that once you begin to curb your own focus and obsession and intentionally make it not your priority and make happiness your priority, you'll start to truly comprehend how awful your hallucinations were before and how much time they have stolen from you and how stupid it is that it happens to all of us. Anyway, number three, ugly goggles. So this is kind of a key experience in body dysmorphia is like the hallucinations of something that doesn't exist. So in those trigger moments, when you hear your flaw in your head, like brought up, 
some whatever it is, let's say it's your skin or your hair or your wrinkles, whatever it is, suddenly when you have that trigger moment of that thought, when you suddenly look in the mirror and you're like, oh my God, I'm, I look 60 pounds heavier. So those exaggerations of flaws, your brain is, is literally causing you to hallucinate. So because it's an emotional trigger. So picture your brain has, when you aren't looking, put a pair of ugly goggles over your eyeballs and you need to stop and step away from the mirror and talk yourself down. Remember that you have emotional blindness. That's not real. So I know that if you are interested in seeing a medical professional, there are meds that are known to help remove the ugly goggles permanently. Like, I mean, you have to stay on the meds, but they basically allow you to stop hallucinating the physical flaw. Ugly goggles. Remember, don't look in the mirror. You know it's happening. You know it's stuck on your eyeballs. Look away. Number four, scare away the monsters. So this is like that thing you do as a kid. And I remember when I was a kid, I used to do this when I was walking upstairs in the basement and I was trying to not run and freak the shit out of myself. So it's like when you're afraid of something in the dark, you talk really loud and calmly about how not scared you are. So in turn, when you talk like this, you actually calm yourself down by demonstrating how calm you are. So don't isolate or hide your insecurities. Disarm them by owning them and talking about them and own the fact that you're in the process of overcoming them. Joke about them. Overshare. Be social. Be around people. Force yourself to be out in the world and around others. Live your life and don't let these perceptions rob you of your your right to participate in your own experiences. Like de- never let this be the reason that you are not present in something important in your life. Never let your problems silence you. So when you feel triggered or in pain, talk to yourself in the voice of sanity and always be kind and supportive. So tell yourself what is happening in a calm and rational voice and do everything you can to help yourself in those situations. Don't isolate. Don't suffer alone. Push yourself to be out there and exposed and working through this thing. Move it on. Number five, this is called don't pull the trigger. So think of your trigger emotions like it's a loaded gun. And when you are scared and upset and in that terror horror mode, the instinct is to fire at something. It's, it's because of my weight. It's because of my skin. It's because of my looks. So whatever it is you've labeled as your pain. And yet... Often the triggered emotions are just mislabeled feelings that are old. It's like we are identifying the emotion as something related to physical form, when in reality it might be something very, very specific and tied to your childhood or to an old experience. So in this moment, don't pull the trigger. Try and stop and think, where is this coming from? What is the label I've given to this feeling? What age does this feel like? What voice is it speaking in? Is this pain actually coming from feelings of low self-worth? Maybe it's not that I feel fat. Maybe it's not that I feel full. Maybe I just feel very uh, filled with shame. Like there is a different feeling at play often in these triggered moments. So a lot of the physical uh, flaw emotions are really tied to an emotion that is 
uh, powerful and overwhelming, and we've chosen to give a label to it that we can control. So I recommend soothing those individual trigger moments just as the emotion, just as an individual instance of an emotion. So for example, deep breathing exercises like book breathing, which is basically if you lie on your back, put a book on your belly and try and breathe as deeply as you can into your belly so that you lift the book up and then breathe all the way out. Trying to get smooth as much as possible. Or give me five breathing, which is my word for box breathing, where you count to five all the way in, hold for five, count to five, breathing all the way out, hold it out for five. Those are some quick little breathing exercises. Alrighty, number six. This is a journal exercise, and it's called U360. So I want you to describe to yourself in your journal what you want to be known for in your lifetime. Like, what do you want people to say at your funeral? Like, what would you describe as your greatest assets as an individual? Basically, tell yourself, who are you? What qualities do you have as a person? And what are you really great at? What are your greatest achievements? What is your greatest dream? Basically, a paragraph about what defines you as a thinking, breathing human being and a soul, not something tied to your physical form. So this U360 statement, this is the you that you are going to be catering to moving forward. Not your physical. Everything you focus on should serve this full person and reward and protect that person. This is your truest value. This is the statement that should be your focus when you are battling the evil voices moving forward. That's you. That's who you are. Number seven. This is called OCD ugly. And this means basically stop the rituals associated with your body dysmorphia. The compulsive obsessive checking and measuring behavior reinforces the obsession. So it's like you're maintaining the sickness. I know this one is really hard to do, but you really need to deliberately stop any behaviors you have around your perceived flaws. So for example, to write this piece, I threw away my scale. And that was fucking terrifying. I didn't even think about it, but I used to weigh myself pretty regularly. And once I had no measure, it was like the hallucinations got way worse. So once you get past the terror part, which only takes a all right, it took like six months. <laughs> Past that part of like, oh my God, I don't even know what I look like. I probably look awful. Then you start to get a little bit more clarity. I'm not going to lie. It was really hard. And part of me wanted to run backwards and drop the whole thing because it's like you feel un out of control or untethered. But I decided, I decided, I decided I wanted to do this. And so I decided I could not stop. And I was going to honor the goal, which is to stop focusing and obsessing and measuring and instead just be whatever I was going to be based on my ability to take care of myself. And I can tell you, if you want to help yourself undo this mental jail, you need to be deliberate about steering yourself away from all the practices, all the physical and mental and verbal practices that reinforce your negative measuring. And that includes allowing yourself to mentally label things as bad or sinful or remove your ability to enjoy them. So redirect your energy 
towards something more important, like how you are going to get the promotion you've been wanting to do or how, what projects you're excited about. Basically, get yourself out of your self-obsessed head and assume no truth will lie there, regardless of whether or not you feel you're up to par with whatever cultural ideal you've subscribed to. Right now, you are trapped in a form of perception that adds a thick layer of ugly, though you can't see yourself anyway. You can't appreciate how beautiful you are, and you can't actually see what exists in reality. If you're thinking, well, what if I love to groom myself? That is so not what I'm talking about. This is not at all about not loving your physical self. I am all about that. Joy up the wazoo. Savor every sensation. Care for thyself. Give yourself back rubs. Exercise. Live to the max. My point is that with all of this information, the pain and suffering is optional. Living as a victim on an emotional roller coaster controlled by a reflection is not necessary and has actually a negative effect on, I believe, your ability to look your best. It all starts with awareness and then a goal you have for yourself in your life. And I'm not talking you out of exercising or doing your hair or eating healthy. I'm talking you out of the pain and the obsession that causes you to experience imbalance, that perpetuates problems and causes you to feel powerless. Because when you stop the obsession, you get clarity. Once you have emotional balance and distance from this obsessive focus, the physical self-care and health is pretty straightforward. It's all dictated by just regular old holistic happiness as a human. Health and fitness comes automatically. It doesn't have to have the emotions tied up with it. So it's inspired by you wanting to be healthy and happy and enjoy your life should not be inspired by fear and penance or the horror of a reflection. If you want to dye your hair and get a tan and work out, go for it. It can be a passion and a lifestyle. If you, fit, if you love fitness, like, go for it. I love exercise. It makes me feel amazing and like my truest self. But I do it because I love how it makes me feel. I crave it for my happiness. It's for me, not to me. So this is really about checking where you're coming from, being aware of what's honest and good for you and what's hurting. Make sure you're coming from the right place and that place should be one of self-love. In closing, I know this process is really, really, really fucking hard and it's hard by all measures. It's like walking around in hell and everyone's a demon and you're closing your eyes trying to find the door out of it. So just keep grasping at that door because there is a way out and once you find it just keep running with all your self-loving might you can share your path with others so i challenge you to choose you 360 over your body as the truest definition of who you are i'm asking you to pursue a healthy objective focus in your life that rewards your personality as a whole so start by deciding you want that accept the fear of losing your obsession and know that it'll probably happen intensely, causing you panic and worse hallucinations maybe, but then it will subside. So decide to step out of the blindness and say, I want to be happy. You can be everything you want and more, but it must come from self-love. So commit to your own happiness and your right to enjoy your life and commit to honoring the wishes 
of your soul and your lifetime in its entirety while you're on this planet. Because what do you want to do while you're here? The real goal is to build your life from that foundation. So please love yourself as much as I love you, even though I don't know you. Please want for yourself a life that you enjoy as you are, which is what I want for you. I know you can obtain your balance again and feel worthy and proud of the person you are right now. Wouldn't it be awesome if you had the ability to savor each moment, to not feel worthless or disgusting or hide because of something you happen to see in a mirror? Well, you can and you will for the rest of your very long and rich, happy life. Start now towards that goal. It all starts with the desire to change and then a commitment. In truth, when you're laughing, you look the most beautiful. When you walk around with comfort, you look the most sexy. You look the most strong when you're openly vulnerable. When you fully embrace who you are as a whole person, your spirit shows through. It's that light of joy that makes your face shape perfect. You know what I mean. You look your best when you feel your best. And it all starts with a dream to love yourself and let go of this pain. I hope you go for it. I hope this helped. I hope it gives you a starting point. And I will put all the resources on Teaspoon, so I encourage you to check it out. And uh, if you know anyone that would learn something from this, please share it. And with that, I send you my love and vibes of positivity. I really hope you go for it. I'll be thinking of you. We'll cheering you on. Deserve to be happy. I believe. I believe in you. Smile, friends. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.